Well, good morning, Awakening Church. We're glad to see you here this morning. My name is Carrie, and as lead pastor, I'm still getting used to this new day where I have a few people here in congregation and house, but most of you all, a lot of you out there in watch parties or watching online, welcome to the Awakening, whether you're in house or online. We are glad to have you here. It's great to come together and to be able to worship the Lord in spirit and truth is what scriptures teach us. And uh, whether you are worshiping with others beside you uh, or you're solo by yourself, we are going to continue to worship God today by looking into his word. Thanks, Joe and team, for leading us. I think uh, that last song, Running Into His Arms, have you ever had that kind of visual experience in your life with God? I remember when I was a graduating senior in college, and we had what was called senior capstone, and that's where they brought everything together, and we were in a uh, uh, camp retreat center in Michigan, and uh, I was out amongst the tall pine trees, I suppose like maybe some redwoods here, maybe not that big, but uh, I just visually imagined my need for Jesus to come and embrace me and for me to run into his arms, but it wasn't happening. I saw him off in a distance in my mind, and he says, well, I'm not the one who has stopped walking towards me. You are. And uh, it just reminds me that if we want to have a genuine experience of faith, it's found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and he does want us to run into his arms and for us to embrace him. So whether you're uh, new on your spiritual journey or you've been around uh, the faith for a long time, we are going to be looking into God's Word in a little bit and continuing our worship as He sort of stirs up within us His heart on this Independence Day weekend. I know that uh, many are traveling or maybe they're out and around, but I'm glad that we are here in-house. And I just want to encourage you that if you are new, whether you are new in-house or in your own home, uh, that we would love to get to know you more. And uh, you can just simply email us your name and information, maybe some questions you might have, interactions. We'd love to do that with you back and forth to this address, which is connect at theawakening.church. Connect at theawakening.church, and we can sort of follow up and encourage you with whatever may be your interest in knowing more about the church during this season especially. Also, a reminder that uh, online each and every week, and again here this morning at 9 a.m., it was uh, loaded on, is our Kids Church. And everybody's invited to go onto the Facebook site uh, for the Awakening Kids Church and watch uh, Beth and Devin as they share together and present uh, uh, the children's message. But it's also a message, as we often say every week, that uh, it's relating a lot to adults. In fact, I hear many comments that come back, and Beth and I sort of interact. This is both of us preaching it, trying to knock it down. Uh, student ministry is on Tuesday nights, and they are also um, via remote means, and you can find out more about that uh, through our Facebook site. So, again, we're glad that we got continued things going on, but it's a little bit different on this journey, especially in the midst of the summer season. If you'd like to give to the offering today, we just encourage you to take out your phone right now if you want or end the service whenever when we usually would pass a basket that we don't anymore. But uh, just text the word AWAKENING to the number 77977. AWAKENING to 77977. It'll bring up an app for you to be able to give if you feel so led to do that this morning. And then also, finally, just uh, be mindful that there's prayer needs and concerns that are crossed 
uh, a church body. If you have prayer concerns that need to be lifted to you, I know on our staff this week, uh, one of our staff members, their grandparents had contracted COVID and they actually got admitted into the hospital. And, and so these are things that are ongoing that we need to be there and supporting one another and praying one another with one another on. And so this email address, pray at theawakening.church, uh, sends an email, a prayer concern uh, or need to us as staff as also other intercessions that are operating. So with that, I'd like you all to stand that are in-house. You can stand if you're in home too. I would like us to pray for one another and pray for God's blessing upon our time as we look into his word this morning. Lord Jesus, we do come and run into your arms. I remember years ago, as I mentioned, Lord, that unique time when you really brought a deeper calling into my life and for me to walk forward and to just run into your embrace in a symbolic way. Lord, I know not in this room here or in the living rooms that are represented, if there's someone who is in a place of broken need that needs to run into your arms this morning. But Lord, you promise that wherever two or three are gathered, there you are in our midst. And Lord, I know that through your Holy Spirit, your presence is rich to embrace the person that's standing in the need of prayer in this hour. Lord, for us as a nation, and we come through the celebration of Independence Weekend, we are so grateful for your covering upon us as a nation, and we pray for our nation. But Lord, our nation is made up of people. And it's not made up of all different kinds of groups of people, although that's true with the wide diversity of individuals that are a part of our nation, our great nation. But Lord, it's made up of individuals who are on their own journey, desperately in need of your embrace. And so, Lord, for each and every person that's watching today, that's going to be looking into your word, may your presence be rich, may your voice be clear, and may your command be strong. We love you, Lord. We seek you because you first sought us out. And today we are here gathered in a place of worship, to sing and to proclaim your truth because of what you did on the cross, dying for us and through the power of your resurrection. And we are here, Lord, to worship and to honor you, to hear from you, and to give our lives back to you, and to pray for all those in need today. In God's name, amen. You may be seated. Thanks. If you had to pick whether to be on a sports team that was more of an individual sport or a team sport, what would you migrate to? I won't ask what all the sports are represented here, what you did or did not do, how you excelled or how you failed in your high school or even middle school kind of uh, athletic adventure. But for me, uh, I was predominantly a basketball guy. I tried football for a while, and then I realized I didn't have the strength or the stamina, and though I liked the Friday night's lights, it wasn't worth the two-a-day practices and everything else. So I switched. I switched to run cross-country. And the only reason I ran cross-country was because I knew I needed to be in shape to be able to play basketball well. 
But cross country was a very lonely kind of sport to me. Even though you had others that were part of your team and you got a team score with all how you placed. I loved the basketball game because the basketball game, you interact, you work together, and whether you were a guard or a forward or you were a center, where you came off the bench, where you were a sixth man, or maybe you just sat on the bench. I don't know. You were part of a team. And you would win games, you would lose games, you would head into tourneys. And being from Indiana, basketball is a pretty big deal there. So sectional tourneys and all is a part of that. And, and I can still vividly remember in my mind my last game I ever played of organized basketball. It was in the championship game of the sectional tourney and we fell five points short. I had one of my better games. The rest of the team, not so good. But... I don't know about you when it comes to your Christian faith, how you view your Christian faith. But your Christian faith is not a solo sport. It's a team deal. And we have this series that we're in as we walk through these weeks. And this series is sort of a, a reset for us. A reset as we're here in the summer. And we're going to look at God's purpose in our life. But that purpose is a team purpose. It's not a solo purpose that I want us to reflect on. I understand God has individual purposes for our life. But as we're gathered, whether in-house or scattered through watch uh, parties, we need to recalibrate and relook at God's calling for us in the center of this summer. Because I tell you what, I have been in prayer for the body of Christ as we navigate not just through COVID, not just through the racial discord, but as we navigate through a presidential election year. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to get all political. But what I've had a tendency to observe or feel or be concerned about is we have an allegiance to a greater purpose that we need to stay dialed into foremostly. And so as we look at God's purpose and resetting that purpose here this morning, I want to do an all call. This is not a message for individuals, though it will be uh, a message that strikes you maybe as an individual in your personal faith walk, whether you're uh, a seeker of God or whether you're a fully devoted follower of Christ. But I want to call us out as a team, as a body of people, because there is nothing greater I believe, than to experience the joy of a team win. And when we're talking about the kingdom of God, it's an us, it's not a me. Last week, we talked on priorities. And just to give a little bit of a review on this, because it plays into today, we talked about the four P's of the priorities that need to be reset in our life. And the first P that we mentioned was person. I'm a person first, and I have a relationship with Christ. How'd you do on that purpose this week, right? Your devotional life, your time with the Lord, being able to seek Him, worship Him out in private as you're driving, whatever it may be. You foremostly are a person, and you have a personal relationship, or are called to have a personal relationship with Christ. The second P is partner. If you're married, you have a relationship with your spouse. And that needs to be in second place. You need to be pursuing Christ and have a hot relationship of following the Lord. And that's one of the best gifts you can give to your spouse. 
To be a spiritual leader, to be spiritually attuned to the Father, to be able to walk in a place in which your life is full and rich and you can give out of the overflow of your life, even in difficult times, to the partner, the spouse that God has given you. So number one P is person, number two P is partner, the third P is parent. We have a relationship with our family. And even if you don't have children, you have extended family and others that are part of maybe your bloodline, if you will. And so you have the priority need to be attuned to them and support and encourage them. In fact, what's happening in our culture today, actually what happens around the world, Satan goes after breaking down the nucleus family. And the family unit was God's foremost discipleship vision. And so as the older teach the younger and we share on the journey together through the highs and lows, God's at work in that unit. So a person first, a partner second, and a parent third. And then I told you that my fourth P is the word pastor. I have a relationship with the church. And I must always be mindful, even though it sounds bad, that you are in fourth place. As a brother and sister in the faith or part of the church or somebody I'm working with, encourage about the faith. Because if I get my P's out of line, then things start to go uh, amiss in my home, in my own personal soul. And though it's fourth place, it's not that it's a diminished place necessarily. It's just that I have to keep that appropriate order. So I won't do a raise of hands. I won't have somebody text in, whatever it may be. But how are you doing with your four P's this week? How are you doing with your four Ps? Now you say, well, pastor, I'm not really number four. I, I don't see myself as a pastor. Well, that's why I tried to find a word that was a little bit different, maybe a word that uh, might work for you. And, and I tried this word last week, parishioner. Doesn't that sound big? I'm a parishioner. I, I, I'm a part of a local parish or something. That word doesn't work. And so this is the word that I put in place. The word priest. You have a relationship with others. And uh, there's a Greek word called oikos, which has to do with your extended household. And that requires you to think terms of not just biologically, but to think in terms of all the networks that are part of your everyday life. It may be friends, it may be co-workers, all right? It may be uh, other people that uh, you come by that are neighbors, that are part of your life. Your oikos is that household that's around you that you have an influence on. And so all of us are called to be priests. And that's what we're going to look at today. I said we're going to come to number four and park on number four as we talked about purpose. But it has to do with relationship with others. Now, there are some other P words you could maybe put here for your priorities. I don't know how you're doing with them. But seeing that it's Independence Day weekend, I thought we could maybe um, look at what's happening sometimes and our culture, and is that the fourth P isn't priest, but it's patriot. We have a relationship with America. Now hang with me here a second. I have nothing wrong with being a patriot. I trust you're a patriot. Many of you are vets that uh, are a part of our congregation, and you've laid down your life or put it at risk for the sake of the nation. A patriot is fine as a priority, but it's not the fourth priority. And as we walk through an election year, and as we're amidst a lot of uh, political turmoil and discussion, we need to understand that uh, the P 
P that's in fourth place is the word priest. And we're going to talk about that, like I mentioned. It's not patriot. So we need to mark that out, at least for fourth place. You can push it on down wherever it may be. But I want to talk to you just briefly before we jump into God's word concerning the priestly role about something I'm observing that starts to, I don't know, make me challenged in our culture. And that has to do with the term called civil religion. I don't know, any of you ever heard of civil religion? In the 1960s, there was a sociologist by the name of Robert Bilal who began to articulate what he observes in cultures. And what he observes in cultures is that different nations, different places, different cultures and societies will have a civil religion. And so it's not just something that happens in America. It's something that could happen like what the Soviet Union had or, or South Korea or France. There would be people who are a part, they're citizens of that country, but the way they move forward as citizens of the country is almost as if it's a civil religion that everybody has some adherence to. And he describes it this way, where there are certain common elements of religious orientation that the greater majority of Americans share values expressed in a set of beliefs, symbols, and rituals. So you are a part of a civil religion, and civil religion is not necessarily bad. But I want to highlight that civil religion is not the religion of faith of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. When you go to a football game, or if you get to go back to a football game, I don't know, and they stand up, right, and then there's a the whole controversy of the kneeling to be able to talk about, you know, the, the injustice uh, of, uh, you know, uh, protection forces, those kinds of things, whatever it may be. It, it, set that all aside. When you're at a big event and you stand, put your hand over your heart, you cite the Pledge of Allegiance. You are not standing, and everyone else is not standing in that moment to give allegiance to Jesus Christ. You're giving allegiance to a country. Yes, one country, one nation under God, understandable, and some of the roots that we have. But here's the reality. There's an easy tendency for the common, understandable elements of religious culture to be adopted into a civil religion that's in part separate from what truly is the religion of Scripture. He says this, The God of the civil religion is much more related to order, law, and the right to, than, and, and right than to salvation and love. I came across an article this week. Um, I don't... I've actually tried to stay clear from politics a lot. Those of you that have been around this church for a while know that's probably true of me. But in my personal life, I journey and I observe, and I see there's a desperate hunger and a desire for things to be right, for justice to prevail, and that's all good. But sometimes we can go over the top and begin to articulate a civil religion rather than our true faith religion that Scripture wants us to um, be involved in. And I came across an article this week by Eric uh, Geiger, who is pastor of um, Mariner's Church, which is over in Orange County, a large church. And he has this topic on 
thoughts on the difference between being biblical and being political. And he lists out several points. I'm going to read one of them here. There's a difference between being biblically passionate and politically passionate. There is a major difference in reading Scripture through the lens of political positions and reading political positions through the lens of Scripture. If one reads Scripture through the lens of politics, then there is a lot in Scripture that will be ignored. If one reads politics through the lens of Scripture, one likely won't feel fully at home in any political party. Because not feeling at home makes us uncomfortable, there is a temptation to read our Bibles through the lens of political camps, whatever camp we may come from. Sadly, many important social issues are often seen by Christians through a political lens rather than through a biblical lens. However, for the follower of Jesus, and he lists a few here, I thought were, you know, direct on with how we interact with news and uh, the challenges and uh, uh, beliefs in our culture. Caring about the unborn should not be seen through a political lens. Caring for the immigrant should not be seen through a political lens. Being passionate about religious liberty should not be seen through a political lens. Declaring the worth and value of marriage should not be seen through a political lens. And declaring the worth and value of women should not be seen through a political lens. Before any politician has spoken on these issues, Jesus has spoken. Jesus knits people together in the womb, Psalm 139, 13. Defends the immigrant, Zechariah 7.10. Desires believers to gather, Hebrews 10.25. Places his image on all peoples, Genesis 1.26. Insists marriage is a metaphor of the gospel, Ephesians 5.31 and 32. And elevates the status of women, appearing first to women after his resurrection, as just one example, as found in Matthew 20, verses 11 through 18. Jesus does not fit neatly into the political parties of our day. If we are biblically passionate, we will care about what Jesus cares about. If we are merely politically passionate, we will let our political side determine what we care about. I've had to observe that in my own life because sometimes I can get into the politics of things and positions and political platforms and what one person believes or another. But I think this is a good word for us this morning. It comes from another pastor friend, and I adapted it and changed it. As Christians, our allegiance is not to a red elephant or a blue donkey, but to the slain lamb. The compassion, justice, and righteousness of Jesus Christ knows no political lines. That may make you feel uncomfortable But friends, we start with Scripture, and Scripture doesn't make anyone comfortable. We are called to an allegiance of King Jesus, and following Him, He has laid out His biblical instruction for us. We have been gifted a country where we're able to be involved through a democratic means in the governing decisions of the people. We should take that on and enjoy it. We should step into the public square. But as we step into the public square, it's not 
as politicians. It's as ambassadors and representatives of King Jesus. And we never should be presumptuous on how King Jesus might articulate things if he was walking physically on our earth today in the midst of our people. I um, went to a musical this weekend. You're going to say, how do you do that? I know that they were happening. Well, some of you probably did too. I guess it's uh, the most uh, uh, popular uh, musical that has come out of America, and um, it's run many years in um, performing arts centers on streets of Broadway, and it's the musical Hamilton. And Disney Plus bought the rights to take Hamilton, which had never been seen outside the performing arts theater, and they put it online. You can download it through Disney Plus if you're with Disney Plus. And so my son, who works in Hollywood, he says, Friday night, guys, we're all going to watch Hamilton, all six of us. So we're sitting in the living room. He says, you know, hey, now wait. It's going to, uh, you know, come on. It's going to be further long. It's a long musical. And as a, uh, it's actually more, I guess they say, an opera because there's no speaking parts. Everything is sung. And it's sung by a very diverse cast. It's sung uh, with a lot of rap music and other things. To be honest, when it was all done after the three or four hours, I think it took us long. We had a longer intermission there than what was maybe planned. I said, that is an extremely well-done musical. Whether it's from how it was written to how it was uh, orchestrated, how it, the dance, the choreography, the individuals and the parts they played, it was the original cast uh, that was placed on uh, Disney Plus to watch. But it's about Alexander Hamilton, who is on one of your uh, uh, bills that's in your pocket, uh, in your wallet or your purse, and it, it's about his life and the beginning of America and the revolution to free from England, to be established as a country, and all it's a part of it. It's, it's, it goes into his life. He was an originally an immigrant. And so it got my wheels spinning and thinking and, and charged even politically. And I'm thinking, yeah, because at that time, the first two parties were what? There was a Federalist Party, and then there was the Democratic-Republican Party, right? And then there was collision on course with that. And how would the Constitution be written? And, oh, there's the Bill of Rights that needed to be written because it wasn't completed. And then there was other wrestling and jostling around as to who would lead and who would not. And you, you get enthralled in... The story, at least that's what I was enthralled in, as much by the music and things. And I thank my Lord Jesus Christ that he gave us a country that has freedoms, that we can celebrate on an Independence Day weekend, and that we can articulate uh, to uh, our kids about the opportunities that we have in this nation. And we should take rightful pride in that. And you can have an American flag, but friends, do not take your faith and wrap it in an American flag. Wrap it in the garb of King Jesus and be found in him, and him found in you. And I think it's just a word of instruction that I want to give because what happens in our culture today, and you see it, 
is there's division. It's actually someone, I just talked to someone, a band member, actually, right before service, and I, they said they were doing better this week, and I said, why are you doing better? And they said, well, they're trying to get their heads around some other things that are going on in our nation, and, and who you like, who you don't like, and that kind of stuff, and what's going on. He says, you know, I, I just found myself in a better space this week. Is What's happening in our culture is divisiveness. This group, that group. And instead of the idea that they're all unified before Christ, made in the image of God, it's about multiculturalism. And one group opposed to another group, opposed to another group, this and that, and there's this division going on. But as we were talking right before service, the idea that other people are our enemies, even political enemies, should not be carried by us. The term enemy should not be there. They may have an opposing view. There is only one enemy, and it's not who you think. It's the adversary, and he seeks to bring division and divisiveness at every turn. And so what we have in our culture today is who's on the right, who's on the left. Friends, it's not about the right and the left as much as it is about up and down. And when we get our eyes set on the up and down, then we turn our eyes towards Christ and what He's doing and finding our purpose in His eternal plan. And then we participate in the governing processes of our world as representatives of Him and His Scripture, but we do not fall prey to just mere political positions because that's the stripe or the t-shirt that we've worn. Now, why am I coming out so strongly on this? One, I think that we have a responsibility in election year to be well-informed and vote our conscience and vote a biblical worldview as you deem best. And it's across every person's different across each ticket. But more importantly than that, what I'm sensing, and maybe it's because of COVID. Maybe it's because of some of the racial unrest I'm seeing Christians lose an awful lot of their joy these days. And I see them protecting themselves, not quite knowing what to say. If I say this, you know, I may be in trouble this way. If I say that, I'll be in trouble this way. I see bantering sometimes on social media where I'm like, don't go there. That's just not the appropriate form. And, and you may think that you're being a great preacher of, you know, something of God on there. And, and, and you can do what you want on social media. I'm not your boss or your, I'm not your God. Can I, but there's, there's this tendency to be careful in how we articulate the kingdom's values for all people. And that we march according to, to the trumpet of Jesus and not according to a trumpet of any particular brand of politics. It's a difficult road to walk. Even with me stepping out here today and choosing to talk about this, hey, hey, it's July 4th weekend. I can talk about something, right? We should talk about Independence Day. I'm like, you know, my goal every week, I facetiously say sometimes, is to not say anything publicly that's now also being live-streamed into your homes and being placed on an internet. My goal is not to say anything that will go viral in a bad way. Why is there that protectionism? 
Because we have an enemy, and that enemy putting people in different pockets and corners and those kinds of things. And my call today on the purpose of God to reset it is to challenge us all as believers, whether you're a part of this church, another church, across the nation, let's come together as the people of Jesus Christ, and let's be unified in the team spirit of what we're to be doing for the kingdom of God in this day and age. And some of that may be a rightful petitioning of things. Some of that may be even a protesting, a lawful protest of things. Some of that may be running for political office. That's all good and fine. But remember your priorities. Your priorities are not patriot first. You're a person with a relationship with Jesus Christ, a partner, a relationship with your spouse, and sometimes spouses are even on different camps, right? You are a parent, a relationship with family, and you definitely have family that's scattered across a lot of different pockets of, of beliefs politically, right? But fourth, you're a priest. And as a priest, you have a relationship with other people in your networks, in your oikos, to be able to influence people to follow Jesus and establish these. And your earthly purpose is embedded in all these, without question. But because of some of the passion of my heart this weekend and sharing with it, I want to take number four and I want to move it in a different direction. You are called to be a priest and I defined a priest as this, one who stands in the presence of God, interceding for others, and then stands in the presence of others, interceding for God. Can you catch that? A priest. Now, in the priest in the biblical times, Jesus picked a group, a tribe of people, right? from the Levites, and they were to do the church stuff. They were to do the temple stuff. They were to offer the sacrifices, and the sacrifices were offered. You know, uh, in particular, the high priest, once a year, would take the blood of a goat and go into the holy of holy places, and in there do some sprinkling over um, Ark of the Covenant and uh, the mercy seat for the redemption and the salvation of people's sins. We don't have time to go and all that. Some other blood was uh, dripped on a goat that would run off into the wilderness as a scapegoat, uh, symbolizing the disappearance of our sins. Some beautiful imagery that God put in the Old Testament. And he had the Levites who were priests. And the priests had access to God. And everybody from the other tribes, they went through the Levites to be able to go into the uh, the presence of God seemingly, but even the high priest wasn't able to go into the Holy of Holies, but only one time a year on the Day of Atonement. When Jesus Christ died, do you remember? It got dark. There was an earthquake. There was a shattering. And when Jesus Christ died, and then when he was raised from the dead, what physically happened in the temple in Jerusalem there was a veil that kept the holy place from the holy of holy places that only the priests would go once a year. That veil was six inches thick. And that veil through Christ's crucifixion was rent in two from top to bottom. Nobody went in there and tried to saw it up from the bottom, right? It was rent in two from top to bottom. When the earth got dark, there was the earthquake. Jesus Christ died for our sins because as you read through and you would study the book of Hebrews now today, Jesus Christ was the once and all payment for our sins. He became the sacrificial lamb that was slain. That's where our allegiance is. And Jesus Christ, he fulfilled what was needed in the Old Testament, but there is no longer a need to go through a priest to go into the Holy of Holies. 
You have access to walk into the very presence of God. You don't even have to take a number like you do at the DMV. You get to go right in and you say, Jesus, I want to talk to you about my problems. Why are you able to do that? Now, some of you come out of Catholic churches or other kinds of high churches, so the priestly order is still in place. But friends, it, it sort of grates me because what Jesus did on the cross was he brought fulfillment to that whole priestly thing, and then he's going to turn it as we're going to look at. But Jesus is our high priest. And then he's commissioned us to be priests for others. Not because they can't go to God directly, but the priest was known in that day in the Old Testament as one who was able to stand in the presence of God. You can stand in the presence of God. And then when you stand in the presence of God, you can go and stand before others, interceding for them to God. And God needs us to communicate his truth to others. P, the fourth P, priest. Scripture is referred to as the priesthood of all believers. And so your earthly purpose, you're a person first, you're a partner second, you're a parent third, you're a priest fourth. Friends, your purpose that needs to be reset is found in the priesthood of all believers. And I phrased it this way. What is the priesthood of all believers? As followers of Jesus Christ, we are gifted. We are gifted eternal access to God and are called to be healing agents of reconciliation between others and Him today. Oh God, we pray in this politically divisive season. Heal our nation. And God says, I'm trying. Will you be a healing agent in the midst of all the division? Healing comes about by reconciling people with God. One at a time, however he may lead. I want you to take out your scriptures. 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. I'm going to read it. If you don't have your scriptures with you or on an electronic device, just listen. This is the Apostle Peter. Oh my, what journey he would have gone through in his days of knowing Jesus and then coming to later years, writing this down. It's said that Peter was crucified, but he asked to be crucified upside down when he was martyred because he was not worthy to be crucified in the manner that Jesus was. Peter grew a lot from those challenging early years when he came off the boats to follow Jesus. And so here he is writing in 1 Peter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, it's a team sport, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay in Zion a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. 
Verse 7, Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of our faith. And you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, are like living stones being built into an incredible house through the years until we meet him face to face. But for some people, maybe it was true for you in your life, maybe it's true for you right now as you're here in our presence or listening to this message, Jesus is a stumbling stone for you. You've got problems with him. It's always been that way. The encouragement is seek him out. Understand him, what he taught, who he was, what he did. Jesus can become the cornerstone of your life in which to rebuild things that are broken and fallen down. But he has to be the cornerstone, which is the one that the foundation rests on the foundation and then the stones are built from that cornerstone piece. I want you to take your scriptures in 1 Peter, and we're going to look in particular at verse 9 and 10 as it relates to the priesthood of all believers. It says earlier in the passage I just read that we are a holy priesthood. It comes black and says it again, Peter does. But it says this, that verse 9 and 10, but you are, I want to pause right there and tell you that this is key to this passage. This is who you are if you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning. You are, and then it lists four things. It lists these four things, and then it says, you are that you may. I may what? Do I, you know, get, get out of church early? Go eat? Is there a restaurant that has outdoor seating I can go to that I'm cool with today? What? No, no. Come back with me. In-house. Team sport. We're winning for the kingdom of God. You as living stones, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are these four things so that you may do something. And guess what you may do? You may declare the praises of Him. Your eternal purpose is to declare the praises of God. You see, as a priest, the priest had that intercessory work. But the priest was also known as one who was always giving praise. Always who was leading people in praise. So if a priestly role as part of a believer's, the priesthood of all believers, you need to understand that your primary purpose to reset for this summer and thereafter is that you are something so that you may declare the praises of him. Now, I don't know about you, but I was tremendously disappointed. I couldn't go to any public fireworks yesterday, right? I mean, we've had great fireworks shows historically with my kids, my family. We go see the fireworks. We watch them on TV at Washington, D.C. They were pretty beautiful, I suppose, if you were there in person. But it's a little different when you're watching it on TV, right? 
But if you're watching fireworks in person, what do you have? You have the small ones go up and go, oh, that's cool, they're starting, another thing. And then the whole fireworks show starts to roll along. And then they get really big. Then they have the big droopy ones and the spackling here and there. And you're going like, whoa, those are neat. I never knew they could do that anymore. And you listen to the crowd that's around you at a fireworks show. What happens? Ooh. Oh. Wow. Which one did you like that? Did you see that one? Yeah. Right? You're watching a display of pyrotechnics that causes you to stand back in awe. Your purpose as a believer in Christ is your life, your living stone, is being created in such a way that the world stands back in awe. Ooh, look at that life there that's changed. Look how they're uh, living a life of integrity or for God or whatever it may be. And you declare the praises of him who created you. But to understand how you can best find that purpose of declaring forth the praises eternally of God. You see, it's not just in the end times after the Lord comes or after you pass away and you go to be with the Lord. It's now. You are called. You need to recognize four things. You are a chosen people. Different translations say different things here. Some say um, uh, a race, that you're, you are a generation But the word people here has to do with a whole race, species, not even just species, but a race of people. You and I are human beings. We are not dogs or horses, right? That's different. We are human beings and we're all part of the human race. But guess what? If you are in Christ and... You've moved from him being a stumbling stone to him being the cornerstone in your life and you've invited him to come in. Your sins are forgiven through the one who paid the price once and for all. He sends his Holy Spirit to be a part of your life. You go from being spiritually flatlined to being spiritually alive, redeemed. You become a part of a whole new race of people. This unifying factor does not have anything to do with creed. It has to do with origin. And if you are a believer in Christ, you are a chosen people, a chosen race, something totally different than others. When you are in eternity, the angels will step back and go, wow, look who's all here, man. Somebody other than us. That's redeemed human beings. Look how awesome and mighty God's hand is in changing and transforming their lives from being wayward sinners to being saints in the name of the Son. You need to reckon that you are part of a whole new race. Second is you are a royal priesthood. That's why I mentioned the priesthood had to do with access to God. And then representing people to God as you represent God to the people. And it has to do, the word earlier in the text here was holy, but this this has to do with royal priesthood because you have a king. And your king is Jesus. And as a part of the royal priesthood, you have privileges of doing ministry 
maybe not up here on a platform as a pastor speaking or to sing or to even be helping in children's rooms or whatever the ministry may be going on and that you're a part of in your life. You may just be encouraging one person to the next to the next. I met with somebody this week and we were talking about how to build bridges of trust that can bear the weight of truth. And sometimes the issue of trust just has to do with simple things that you do to build that relationship because you are a royal priesthood. You are a priest to other people, to your oikos. Because you're a representative of the true king. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. And then it says you are a holy nation. Now this doesn't have to be with nations as we know of geographic, uh, geopolitical kind of boundaries today. It had to do more with the term like tribe. And so you are part of a tribe. And if you were part of a tribe, you had a chief or you had a king. And you sort of migrated together, you worked together, you served together, uh, you supported one another together. You are a holy nation. You are part of a tribe. One of the things that's so critical for us at the awakening is that we are part of the body of Christ. One of the things that frustrates me with all the, you know, not being able to gather all publicly maybe is, is, during this season is like, oh, man, I, I want my tribe to be together, man. But it's not be, because I want us to be a clique. Churches are known for that. I don't need a clique. I need an impassioned people that are on a journey of representing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and to understand that we are a holy nation, we are a tribe, and that we will be there for one another. We will cry when others are crying. We will support when others need supported. We will champion and rejoice and laugh when others are doing that. We do it together. The whole COVID things has caused us to distance, and we realize that we are relational human beings. I need other people. Well, you need other people, but you need other people in the tribe of the kingdom of God to support you. So do not distance yourself whether you have a tendency to just check out for the summer be here or be in a watch party from home stay engaged you are a chosen people you are a royal priesthood you are a holy nation and then the last one is you are God's special possession you know scripture talks about our inheritance we have in Christ when we are followers of Christ whoa we get this big inheritance do you know that God gets an inheritance in us? I like how Zephaniah 3.16 says that on that day, and I understand this has to do with an earthly prophecy and what was going on there, but it relates to the kingdom. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. His inheritance are the living stones. His inheritance are us who are followers of him. We get an inheritance, an eternal inheritance, but have you ever thought God gets something? Not because he needs something. He doesn't need something. He just likes to receive glory and praise. And he gets us. And when he gets us, he takes delight in us. And he sings over us. Now, the governor had an order this week, and that's why there's a little trepidation. What are we going to do here on a Sunday morning? I guess it came in some speech he gave on Thursday that said that churches could still gather. I think there's sort of a desire for them not to gather. But the churches 
could gather 25% occupancy in a room. We thankfully got a little bit bigger room here, so we can't have 100 people here in the house if uh, we're able to, to see that many show up on a day. But here's the deal. You can't sing. Now, I'm not going to step into the political mess of all that, other than that we have sought political counsel, and there's, it's just not, you just can't really say that kind of thing. That'd be like going to a restaurant, say restaurants can stay open, but you can't serve food. What? You see, our singing isn't a spectator support. When you come into the house, you worship, and you're giving honor to God. It's some of the praise that you're declaring. Woo, look at that. Well, that's a great song, Joe. That's a little too loud, Joe. I don't know. However you worship and, and interact. But we are giving our praise to God. And so we sing. But maybe the controversy isn't about people singing today in churches. Maybe the controversy is, are we people worthy of Jesus singing over are we living our lives in such a way that He takes great delight and honor in us? God sings and delights over His people as we seek Him and we live for Him. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare. That you may declare the fireworks of His glory and His praise. I don't know what you're expecting in heaven. I'm expecting a lot of things on the other side. One of those is that I just get to sit down and hear story after story after story of what God's done in people's lives. Because one of the greatest declarations of praises is a changed soul. Someone who goes from hardened and different to someone who's soft, tender, and beautiful. Jesus does that. Declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Story after story after story of people being called out of darkness into his wonderful light. And then it says, once you were not a people, but now you are. You are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You know what it says right after that? Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. I don't know about you, but I have to have greater purpose than just living from paycheck to paycheck, check one life event to the next. I was built for something bigger. I was built to be a part of his eternal kingdom, to be a part of his people, to be a part of what he's doing in all the world. It's an us, not a me. I like how Rick Warren puts it in that purpose-driven life book that received such popularity a number of years ago. The first four words in the purpose-driven life book are what? It's not about you. Could it be your summer reset? 
needs to take place. And your summer reset needs to be reset in your identity in Christ. The Apostle Paul said this in Titus 2.11, the same thing Peter was trying to articulate in his epistle. He said this, For the grace of God has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who redeemed us from all wickedness and purchased for himself a people of his very own, eager to do what is good. Will you pray with me? Lord, in these moments, I ask that your spirit would seal this scriptural word about our identity. Yes, about our priorities and that we are to be priests. Full access onto you. Full intercession for others, supporting and encouraging. But Lord, that we would find a fresh identity in being your people. Your chosen possessions and that we would relish in the joy of that. Lord, we're glad to be Americans. Even amidst of all the tension that has been going on since this country's revolutionary war. But Lord, may we acknowledge this Independence Day weekend that you are the author and the one who gives true freedom by setting us free from sin and setting us onto a pathway whereby we can have a fresh identity a fresh identity as a people that belong to you, as people that are a chosen group, a new race, that we are a people who are a royal priesthood, and that we are a people who are part of your eternal tribe and your local tribe today. May we find ourselves basking in the joy of who we are in you, being obedient to your calling this week, whoever we associate with, whoever we interact with. And Lord, may we bring praise to you. We are that we may be. Amen and amen. Thanks for walking through that intense passage of Scripture. I encourage you to have a great week as priest of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are offering baskets on the way down if you want if you would like to have prayer, please uh, hang around. I'd be glad to interact with you or just simply email pray at theawakening.church. Have a good week. God bless.